Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Welcome to Freedom of Species, we're a show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves of 3CR Community Radio. Before us, you heard Sally with Out of the Pan, so make sure you check out Out of the Pan every week from 12 till 1 uh, for all things pansexual, so check that out. Um, Today on the show, we are covering atheism and animal liberation, and I guess also the reverse of that, the role of religion in uh, people eating and, and using animals etc and to yeah help us discuss this we're joined by rowan taylor welcome to the show rowan g'day pleased to be here thanks for having me no worries i'm nick pendergrass hosting today and we've also got adam cardellini regular co-host as well sure do (laughs) that is adam's voice so yeah I, i guess to start things off maybe um you give listeners a bit of background about yourself maybe how you came to I guess both of these things are of atheism and animal liberation, like were they things that you came to at a similar time or were they quite different paths to come to these two different uh, ideologies, I guess? Well, I think they came to me probably at the same time, or the seed came to me at the same time, but uh, the two paths diverged for quite a while before I sort of was able to bring them together. Um, and we'd have to go right back to when I was uh, at high school which is quite a long time ago. But um, I was interested in art, and um, a friend of mine gave me, uh, loaned me a book that had uh, exercises in it for drawing anatomy. And the book was not just limited to human anatomy. It had the anatomy of a whole bunch of other animals. And to me, this was revelatory when I saw the, um, the skeletons of all mammals Uh, and even going down below that, going to birds and fish, they're all just modifications of a single body plan. Uh, And in many cases, uh, the modifications aren't really that dramatically different from each other. And when you added the muscles in, um, this was, to me, quite uh, mind-blowing. I suddenly realised that we're actually talking about the same, same beings here with just rather superficial modifications. And at the time, um, you know, I was struggling a bit with my biology at high school, not paying that much of attention. But um, suddenly evolution acquired a a fascination for me uh, that has never left me. And uh, I ended up going to university and doing a degree in zoology um, and a few other things as well. But um, the fascination for evolution, biology, animals that sort of stemmed, 
I, I, I'm, I'm perhaps over, overstating the extent to which it was just this one book. I mean, clearly I, I sort of had other influences, but, but this was quite signal in that it also inspired me to think ethically. And um, uh, in particular, I became quite uh, uh, strongly committed to the idea that, uh, fascinated by the idea that we are apes and that chimps and gorillas and so forth are really us, just in a slightly different form and with slightly different aptitudes and capacities, but quite slight, really. And a lot of my subsequent um, uh, interest and in research sort of led me in that in that direction. Um, I guess what happened then was I became an environmental activist on the one hand, um, while um, I guess maintaining a slightly confused sympathy and compassion for animals. I didn't become a vegan. I didn't become a vegetarian. I couldn't see personal changes like that really changing the world. And I felt a little bit overwhelmed um, uh, by the challenge, I suppose, of going down that track. So for a long time, I just didn't even consider it. Instead, I was, you know, your more typical conservationist, environmentalist who campaigns for populations and campaigns for species and campaigns for geographical areas. Um, and it was really only within the last, I suppose, 10 years that I, um, that I really put those two things together and realised that, um, that the same insights um, about the kinship of humanity and other animals, uh, the commonality of our experience, both the fact that we live in the, in the planet and are subject to the same environmental um, factors, but also our inner experience, our ability to feel pain, our ability to suffer, our ability to feel pleasure. These are all the same stuff. And really, um, if they're a matter of concern for me at the population and species level, really they ought to be a matter of concern for me at the individual level too. And um, I, uh, I, I then became, um, my lifestyle also became uh, committed to that. I became vegetarian first of course, and then vegan. Um, and I've been vegan for, uh, what, about, I think, coming up to the end of my sixth year now. Um, but I'm vegetarian since 1998. Um, that's that's sort of a, a very short rundown. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating. That's really yep. fascinating, Rowan. It reminds me. So I'm a evolutionary ecologist as well, and I think lots of what you've just mentioned um, resonates very strongly with myself. Um, and it reminds me of a quote by Darwin, which I love. Um, there is no fundamental difference between man and animals in their ability to feel pleasure and pain, happiness and misery. And, you know, that's from Darwin bloody 150, 160 years ago. Um, it's, it's incredible how, how much evolution and a scientific understanding can help us see into, um, the inner lives and the, and the similarity between us and others. Um, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, in fact, Darwin, even though he himself didn't, I think, change his eating habits, um, he was actually an early voice for the uh, for the animal welfare movement that started in England in the Victorian era. I think probably the first animal welfare movement in you know the modern West. Um, and his views on hunting and things like that changed diametrically um, uh, as a result of his own insights into evolution. 
to change his eating habits, though, but you know, um, I guess uh, one can only expect so much from Victorian gentlemen. Um, the, uh, the fundamental paradigm, though, that he introduced and it was so controversial and it was controversial for the reasons that we think it's it's so important it wasn't just controversial because it was sort of blasphemous it was the ethical implications of it that um that you know really horrified people the fact that we would if we embrace darwin's view find ourselves using the same moral yardstick to measure ourselves and other animals you know there's that famous quote from the wife of the bishop of worcester who said um Descended from apes, pray that it isn't true. But if it is, don't tell anybody. Um, the, 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 the fear was that it would undermine Christian ethics and, and, and the anthropocentrism and the animal exploitation that were just inherent in the way that uh, society operated and, and still, still is. And it's still challenging for that reason. Um, a lot of scientists, and, you know, have, have puzzled me, both ecologists and people who work in the labs, particularly people who do animal experimentation, um, they, they have, do this dual game. They, they recognise that there are these incredible, not just similarities, but actual samenesses between ourselves and, and, and other species. The, the ones who work in the labs uh, use mice and, and primates and dogs, other mammals, as um, templates for human beings and, and do experiments that they think will then have uh, some relevance to humanity, to human health, etc. Um, uh, e- ecologists, you know, put a lot of value on, on saving species and on, on ecosystems and, and so forth. And clearly there's a recognition there that there are evolutionary connections and and all of that that run very deep and that are worth um, are worth exploring and digging and, and persevering with. At the same time, I would do this ethical dissociation where it's all very well to to study, manipulate, use um, these other species for what may may well be. Um, well-intended good ends but the individuals aren't being treated anything like you would treat a human being so there's a a, a very strong um, reluctance to accept the ethical implications of what Darwin said even to you've got the word um, anthropomorphism which you know, one used to hear a lot more. You don't hear it quite so much now, um, but it's still widely used. And it means it, it, it used to be used whenever anyone attributed feeling or an emotion um, uh, or thought to a non-human animal. Uh, it was sort of the assumption behind it seemed to be that only humans think and feel. And if we impute those kinds of, of experiences to other animals then we're guilty of kind of um, um, mistakenly projecting ourselves onto them. But that is such an arrogant attitude. There's an assumption to, to assume that it's only humans who do that and then to take ownership of thought and emotion as if it's only our thing and then deny um, any any recognition that it, the same could be happening in other species. Call it anthropology 
and denigrated. Jane Goodall got into a lot of trouble uh, for you know her initial uh, writings and comments in relation to the chimpanzees at Gombe Stream. Um, it was denigrated as her being anthropomorphic. But there's been a lot more research in animal behaviour and and um, psycho- animal psychology and so forth in the decades since then that has validated this. And so it should, because, uh, um, as you said before, Darwin saw this off the bat, and it just seemed only natural. You know, we, we think with brains that are very similar to other animal brains and that are, have evolved from other animal brains. So they mightn't think in words, but we don't only think in words either. The the drivers of our, of our sort of core experiences is pleasure, um, uh, insight, visual um, memory, uh, etc., sensory um, experiences. These are all not non-verbal. We can verbalise them, but they're non-verbal in, in, in essence, and they're shared across the continuum of the animal world. So, um, so yeah, I thought Dar- I think Darwin was was revolutionary in more ways than he perhaps fully realised. I think his views are still subversive for a lot of people, including scientists. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, he is one of my sort of thought heroes, I guess. Yeah, indeed. And I, I really like what you're mentioning there about um, anthropomorphism and it being claimed as a, you know, well, you, you can't be anthropomorphic or you're not, so, you're not a scientist, you're, you're biased. But Franz de Waal, another great champion of, of animals primates has has coined the term anthropodenial, which is basically the opposite of that, which is that um, by by using this claim of anthropomorphism to shut down any any new insights is actually a form of um, denial of evolution and the con and what evolution tells us about the continuity of traits that traits change in degree not in not in kind, really. So throughout, um, as we as we have, you know, between branches of the evolutionary tree. So yeah, really interesting stuff. Mm. And I think you're absolutely right. I, many many colleagues really struggle with this um, with this idea. Many scientific co- colleagues, it's uh, it's fascinating and and a bit troubling. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. I, I mean, some you know of the sort of top skeptics uh the uh, the you know the stars of the new atheism um well it's i guess getting to be old atheism now but um richard dawkins um and sam harris are two who come to mind um they've both wrestled with this and uh you might have seen as a lot of the rest of us have the youtube video of an interview between dawkins and peter singer uh, where Singer calls him out, saying, "You know, you're a champion of evolution. You're a champion of rational thought. You know, you'll, you'll um, celebrate the continuity of the animal experience and the animal um, uh, template from the sea. We're all just evolved fish um, through to all the varieties on land, and yet, you know, you still eat meat. And he had to concede. He did concede that." Ethically, he, he really didn't have a leg to stand on. He couldn't he couldn't counter uh, Singer's um, challenge. But at the same time, he said, "I guess I'm just not as moral as you." You know, the the, the social um, forces uh, or influences around me and the and the and you know the, the base appetites 
continue to dominate. Now, I don't know if Dawkins is still in that, but I know he's been challenged a number of times. Um, and Sam Harris has too. I know Sam Harris has tried on and off to uh, go vegan and vegetarian, but keeps sort of wimping out and c- complaining that he has health problems. Um, but, uh, I, 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 you know, this is a challenge. It's a challenge. Th- these are sort of, these are the apex public intellectuals for an evolutionarily informed secularism. Uh, you know, Sam Harris has a degree in neuroscience and Richard Dawkins is an evolutionary biologist um, with a specialty in animal behaviour. Um, if they can't make those connections and and then somehow import them into their own personal ethics, you know, you kind of throw your hands in the air. Yeah, we're really interesting points and really, um, yeah, really great um, sort of continuity, if I can say that word, um, in terms of some of the things we've been covering on the show so far uh, for a long time, this sort of tension between environmental movements that are sort of very focused on species and populations versus sort of animal liberation, animal animal rights perspectives that have focused on individuals. So, yeah, really interesting points. And we're going to get into, um, yeah, atheism and, and animal liberation more more after a song uh, we're going to have some atheist themed music today so the first song we're going to play is Faith Alone by a Bad Religion Heard a sermon from a with no one in my name I paid a visit to the synagogue and I left there feeling blamed So needs love 
The Queen Victoria Women's Centre is calling all craftivists to join us and make a fuss. Make a Fuss is a crowdsourced, craftivist project looking for submissions on the theme of women's silence. If you've experienced a time when you didn't want to make a fuss, why not get crafting and make some noise? For more information, go to qvwc.org.au and click on Make a Fuss. Submissions close August 19th. Queen Victoria Women's Centre is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to Freedom of Species on 3CR Radical Radio. We are joined by Rowan Taylor and we're discussing atheism and animal liberation today. Uh, I wanted to just, um, yeah, bring in a statistic. This isn't a topic I've read a lot on, but an article I came across uh, years ago, actually, which was, it was kind of a, a strange article. It was called Animal Rights as a New Environmental Cosmology. And it was a, it was a really strange article that basically argued that uh, no one in the animal movement is religious, pretty much. And, and then they had this weird argument about, therefore, we make animal rights our new religion. I didn't find it a particularly strong argument. But anyway, in that article, uh, they mentioned a survey of American um, animal rights activists uh, that mentioned 70% are atheists or agnostics um, in contrast to the 80 to 90% of the American population who do express a belief in God. So it's really totally flipped around, particularly in, in quite a religious society, society of the US. And I don't think that is a coincidence, the fact that there is, again, even in a very religious society, those who are animal advocates are, you know, hugely in the majority are um, atheists and agnostics. So, yeah, do you want to just talk about some of the potential reasons for that, the role that religion does play in encouraging the sort of eating and using and dominion over other animals? Yeah, sure. Um, when we talk about religion, we tend to think about Christianity being in the society that we are. Um, but a case can be made that religions in general, I, I know that there are a, um, you know, there there are those who feel that uh, the nature religions practiced by um, pagan societies of old or the uh, animistic religions of tribal societies around the world um, are sort of more animal-friendly. Um, and it may be, relative to Christianity, they may well be. It would be hard to find one less animal-friendly than, than Christianity. But um, uh, all of them, though, nevertheless share a kind of of anthropocentrism and a predominant concern with using animals for human ends in one way or another. And even when you're, you're good to animals and within those religious uh, um, traditions, the kicker generally is that it's being done for the well-being of yourself, your spiritual well-being, your, your, your future um, time in the afterlife or your reincarnated personage. Um, and um, uh, it's different in kind, I think, from the type of animal rights, animal liberation uh, philosophies that we're now hearing um, in, you know, in, in the modern world, um, from people who don't have a religious uh, paradigm. They've kind of come to the animal thing with it. With, without that, to filter their perceptions. And uh, this sort of kicks back to our discussion about evolution uh, before. Um, 
that is the secular paradigm for understanding how all living things are connected and how they came to be and and you know what what their natures are and i think when you've removed the um the confusing uh, uh ideas and and um logics that the various religious traditions um have you can see this more clearly. So I, I, I see religion providing something of a filter that distorts our perception of the natural world and distorts our perception of other creatures, um, most most particularly so in, in Christianity, but I, I think also even in the, the Eastern religions to, to a degree at least. And when those are cast to one side, you can see much more clearly and form your view in a much more um, uncluttered way as to how you are going to relate to this nature and how you're going to relate to these animals, not necessarily just an iconic species, if, uh, um, uh, you know, a totem species or a spiritual um, uh, metaphor, uh, but actual individuals, um, real individuals who... who Every one of whom might look, despite looking the same to you, are actually quite different, have had a different experience in their short or long lives. Um, and, uh, you know, do you treat them in that way as deserving of respect or not? I think it's easier to do so if you don't have the, the religious filters in the way. Um, and I also think that, um, that, that what religion does for a lot of people, is it creates a sense of vibe. And it's not only religion that does this. I think there are a lot of ways. We're social primates, and and we like to gather in like-minded groups or um, groups in which we feel safe and, and, and have expectations of others that aren't going to surprise or startle us too, too much. So we, we sort of identify our... our, our, our emotional and our moral communities and partly define our identities according to this. And religion is one very powerful way of doing that. And by by its very nature, because it requires belief and, and commitment to a certain set of dogmas and, and um, uh, cosmic beings, um, it excludes other creatures. Just, just religion. And and when it says you should be nice to them, it's actually it's actually saying to people within that moral community to reach outside the moral community and be nice to the other who's outside. Mm. But um, an evolutionary view doesn't see them as the other. An evolutionary view sees them as one of us. And so it's much easier for people who only have an evolutionary view to make those connections. But having said that, I understand from now my survey data might be a little a little old, a few years back, but I do remember seeing um, that something like seven percent. I imagine now it might have risen to ten or twelve percent of atheist agnostics um, are, are vegan or vegetarian. Um, while that is much higher than the percentage of Christians and you know, most other religious groups, um, it's still only, you know, a minority of atheists and agnostics. So 
the question becomes, what is it? You know, it goes back to Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. What what other factors are there besides religion that are also inhibiting people from making these connections? Um, uh, and, 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 you know, I think that's an ongoing sort of puzzle for us to try to work work on and 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 uh we uh, certainly the religion um uh connection is is i think it's not a very helpful one uh to, to, to try to base an ethic of of animal liberation or animal well-being uh, or animal rights uh in a christian or other framework even though there are quite a few activists who are doing it and trying to do it um i'm of the view that when they do that they're actually they're cherry picking their uh their you know their, their bible or whatever their other um religious uh, um, uh, dogma is mm. down in and they're um they're, they're getting into that that sort of tit-for-tat game where if if they're sitting down with a fellow believer, the fellow believer has probably got just as many verses and and um, uh, uh, religious edicts to uh, argue the opposite case. We should eat meat, we shouldn't. We should exploit animals, we shouldn't. Um, you know, there's this sort of pervasive idea that we are at the top of some sort of tree of uh, or ladder of entitlement and um in most religions reinforce that rather than challenge it and christianity particularly reinforces it um and um you know this for every little bit about compassion in the bible um you will probably find many more uh passages relating to the exploitation of animals the killing of them um, and other humans as well, for that matter. So yeah, I'm 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 not um, a believer that uh, that religion is, um, is is a way forward ethically uh, in general, but I certainly don't think it's a way forward in terms of uh, the way that we see and uh, ethically relate to other animals. And and you've uh, you've co-written an article uh, called a reflection on Charles Camusy's why all Christians should go vegan um, that was written by yourself and your partner Kim Socher. Um, interesting on That's the right. on the website, Donny says Kim Socher, which uh, I was saying to Kim actually. There's a, a long history of uh, male authors having. Their, their wives doing a lot of work and not getting acknowledgement for it. I think uh, I'm a sociologist. I think uh, theorists like Karl Marx and Max Weber's wife did a lot of work towards it, but never got any acknowledgement. So good to see you're doing uh, sort of going the, the other way in that regard. But uh, so, so, thank, yeah, yeah, absolutely quite right. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, yeah, well, I, I also have a sociology degree oh, beside wow. my zoology one. Just, 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 I say that for context mm-hmm. because. Uh, it, it's made me acutely aware of the of the war between the sciences uh, and and the humanities and the the sciences sort of in the middle there, trying to you know trying to somehow um, work their way through it and, and ethics and, and and all of these all of these things um, uh, uh, you know very very live debating material in that in that space, but um, but yeah, Kim. Um, wrote a book called Animal Liberation and Atheism, Dismantling the Procrustean Bed. And it is 
to my knowledge, the only book um, that really addresses directly these issues of religion's role in creating false consciousness with respect to our views of other animals. And she debunks, uh, you know, quite a number of the um, of the uh, popular, more pop, well, some of the popular ideas that religions uh, here or there um, are actually good for animals. And uh, um, back in uh, what was it about 2015? The book came out around then. Um, uh, she did a number of podcasts and talks. Uh, on this, and um, uh, it, it was challenging for both the atheists in the room and the and the the um, people with, from a religious tradition, because you know the the, the punchline really was if if religion is the um, the creator of a false consciousness in this regard, then atheism really ought to liberate our minds and make us able to see the reality of the animal world and our, our relationships with other animals and our ethical obligations that go with that. And, um, you know, most atheists actually don't want to hear that. <laughs> um, so uh, her, her, her book was sort of controversial with two different camps, if you like. And um, I, I still think it's... it's it's incredibly relevant and and uh, more so in fact as more and more people become interested in these issues um, and uh, yeah I urge you to try and find a copy if you can in a library or somewhere um, Animal Liberation and Atheism Dismantling the Procrustean Bed um, but yes um, the article that you're referring to that Kim and I co-authored it was a response to a piece in an American newspaper by Charles Camosi, who's a, um, a religious leader in the United States, uh, and he had got wind of the fact that Franklin Graham, who's another um, high-profile uh, evangelist over there, um, had decided to go vegan to lose a bit of weight uh, after binging a New Year. And he, uh, Camosi, who is a vegan and is quite committed to animal Liberation thought that Fra uh, Franklin Graham's um, embrace of veganism might be the the sign to uh, attract a lot of Christians. And uh, in the course of his article, he he sort of made a lot of arguments that the Bible, in fact, um, you know, shows that originally when God created the world, uh, he, he intended it to be vegan um, because he doesn't sort of talk about um, people eating meat at all. He just talks about them eating green plants, the people at the time, of course, being Adam and Eve. Um, and, uh, and you know, if people only realised that it was because of sin that, uh, that he then, you know, enabled meat eating or encouraged it or recommended it or whatever, it was like he had a change of policy when he realised what, what nasty things we're, we're capable of. Um, it, it seemed a little incoherent uh, to Kim and me, and we... Um, we thought, you know, it's 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 a bit of a it's a bit of a dead end to try to create an animal liberation consciousness by cherry picking Bible quotes. And in the article, we cherry picked a few back, which um, showed that this is definitely 
um, a, a book of blood and slaughter and, uh, and, and, you know, the animal count is pretty high. And there's not a single, a single bit in it anywhere that actually uh, refutes or condemns um, the raising and the killing of livestock or hunting or any of these things. Um, uh, so uh, the, the view that we took was that if you're a Christian and you're a vegan, most likely the reason that you are, if you're not doing it to lose weight after a New Year uh, feast, is because you're, you're a compassionate human being and you've got those same compassionate instincts that most humans have and most other social animals have. Uh, but what humans have is the additional language and, and intellect to take that compassion and actually extend it a little further than they might have done if they were just sort of sitting around in their, in their face-to-face social group. And Christians have these impulses just the same as we do. And it's the religion that largely holds them back from extending their circle of compassion more widely. And so our view was, rather than try to convince reluctant Christians that they shouldn't eat meat because God said so, why not just bypass religion totally and just tap into that that core compassion that resides in there, if it can be tapped into, and just, you know, go for the... Go for the raw truth of the matter. These are beings who can think and feel like us, and we are treating them badly every day on a scale that is just horrific to contemplate. And our innocent acts of of uh, sitting down to a meal of, with animal products, um, buying an item of clothing made from an animal's body parts, these are, are actual acts of horror, terror, and savagery. And collectively, we're doing it on a scale that is just mind-numbing. And you don't have to talk theology to see that that's awful. You just have to talk to the human and try to somehow get below the theology. So at least that was our thinking. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I can't claim uh, success in implementing this. Uh, I have had these discussions with religious people. Um, and I, I can't say I won a lot of converts, but by the same token, I've had these discussions with atheists as well and uh, often with the same outcome. Yeah, I've got a lot to say about that. I have wanted to give Adam a chance if you wanted to jump in with anything, Adam. No, just to say that it, it's such... The idea that we can use and, and dominate other animals seems to be such a sticky idea. Like you mentioned, Dawkins and Sam Harris... Um, are both people who are considered you know, enlightened and intellectuals and all that sort of jazz, but still, and, and, and both, I think both of them have, as you mentioned, um, said that uh, not eating animals is the most ethical or being vegan is the most ethical um, way to live in terms of our consumption. Uh, and they still don't, don't stop. Mm. It's, um, it's such a sticky idea, and I, I wonder it's sort of how much of that is a product of, of culture and society and norms. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously a big part of it is. Um, yep. But uh, um, part of it too is just the fact that, again, going back to our biology, uh, mammals are, um, are basically with the exception of a few who've become very specialised over millions of years to a very narrow 
a very narrow habitat and, and uh, uh, diet, most mammals are actually able, and this is probably part of our success, to switch diet and to find a lot of different things appetizing. And in particular, we seem to be wired to find f fats and, um, and, and, you know, um, blood-containing products um, tasty. And if we've got ideologies or we've got um, we're in a society where the norms really reinforce that, and a lot of a lot of warm social interaction is built around that, it's a pretty powerful blimmin' mixture. And uh, uh, simply having a good intellectual argument against it is is probably not going to cut it for a lot of people, um, because there's all this the fact that they enjoy the eating, the fact that they're reinforced for it every day when they sit down to a new meal, and the fact that there is this whole social component to it. Um, it, me it means that it's, it, it is a very difficult thing to overcome, uh, uh, it seems to me, um, and Harris and Dawkins kind of bear that out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I wanted to also mention and also apologize for the noise of my dog in the background that's uh, currently <laughs> obviously recording from home at the moment rather than in the studio with uh, coronavirus. But um, yeah, just something that sort of stood out to me from the article was that when, um, yeah, when religious people, religious figures um, say anything remotely pro-animal, they're, they're so, you know, lauded as, yeah, this amazing thing, even when it's a fairly sort of... Um, benign thing of just yeah maybe you know humane slaughter or supposedly humane slaughter just sort of very sort of token improvements to animals um whether it's the pope etc and mm. and you also touched on other issues in the article um like other social justice issues too and it just reminded me actually of um something going back to 2014 where the church of england vowed to allow women to become bishops and that was sort of seen as like the the church doing this feminist thing but they needed a five-hour debate to decide that in 2014 so to me it was more like an example of rather than isn't the church so feminist now the fact that that is something they needed to debate for five hours in 2014 sort of shows that in my view um it sounds very much in line with yours that religion actually holds us back on social justice issues absolutely they were, they were playing catch-up mm. and and you know after you know they were decades behind the game and um and it, it, it's just so often the way because the whole way that religions operate is to reinforce and consolidate a view of the world rather than challenging and, um, uh, you know, growing and evolving. It's, it, 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 it's very much a sort of a circle, the, the belief wagons and, um, and, and hunker down inside, you know, mm -hmm. and, and tell each other the same stories to make ourselves think the whole world saying the same or thinking the same so yeah i mean good on them for finally making that move but you're right um they they were really that they were coming to the party late and it just highlighted just how how out of step they kind of were with with modern um social justice thinking and 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 the you know the largely secular drive to expand our boundaries of compassion mm.
Yeah, and, and obviously that isn't to deny, you know, sexism outside of religion and, and like same with species as you touched on, um, yeah, sexism outside of religious context, sexism within the atheist community, etc. Um, just as there's speciesism. But uh, I think, um, yeah, you and Kim's work, which which highlights that religion is, is one factor or an important factor they need to consider is a really important one. But um, we better go to a song. So we're going to have another atheist theme yep. song. Uh, this is Frank Turner with Glory, hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, have you heard the news? The storm has lifted and there's nothing to lose. So swap your confirmation for your dancing shoes because there never was no God. Step out of the darkness and onto the streets. Forget about the fast, let's have a carnival feast. Raise up your lowered head and hear the liberation beat Because there never was no God And there is no God So clap your hands together There is no God No heaven and no hell
Isolated? Quarantined? Need some essentials but can't leave the house? Or just having a hard time dealing with everything at the moment? Queer Aid Nam is a new mutual aid group of organized volunteers. We're here, we're queer, and we've got your back. Whether or not that's how you identify, nobody should be suffering because capitalism or the state didn't provide what they needed. That's why we're working to strengthen our communities through solidarity. Put in a request for help and we'll match you with a volunteer in your area who can either pick up groceries or other essentials for you, help you run errands, cook meals for you, or check in with how you're going. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, or if you want to join the volunteer list, find us on queeraidmelbourne.org or search for us via Facebook, COVID-19 Queer Aid Nam Melbourne. So tell your family and your friends, and don't forget your neighbours. That's queeraidmelbourne.org, a 3CR supporter. I think 3CR is the voice of the people, speaking back to the establishment and telling them what they think, and sometimes it's something they don't want to hear. Welcome back to Freedom of Species. We're joined by Rowan Taylor, and we've been discussing their connections between atheism and animal liberation on the show today. We're going to finish up in the last few minutes just by talking a bit about um, a recent story. So um, anyone in Victoria, in in Melbourne, Australia, will be aware that we're in stage four COVID-19 restrictions. Um, And this has included restrictions for um, slaughterhouses around uh, the whole state of Victoria. Um, And basically because slaughterhouses have lots of people working close together, um, it it makes distancing hard. So they have been hotspots for COVID outbreaks. And so basically because of that, um, suppliers for some uh, meat products or animal flesh products will be lower. Uh, Prices could increase and the major supermarkets, Coles and Woolworths, have already imposed two-pack limits on meat packages uh, as well as other uh, sort of meat, animal flesh products. So, um, yeah, I wanted to just to finish up, um, yeah, maybe starting with Rowan and me and Adam might jump in something as well, but just any advice, I guess some listeners out there who, who are currently eating animals might sort of have that choice in a way taken away from them by this, but might also find that through replacing those products, it is a something they want to do in the long term and, and cut meat and other animal products out of their diet. So do you have any, um, yeah, any advice, any favorite substitutes for meat or not so much substitutes, but just vegan sort of sources of protein in, in your meals, Rowan? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a bean, bean man. Bean is sort of uh, the go-to protein food, I think, for a <laughs> Most people who go on plant-based because they are just such protein powerhouses. Uh, nuts, uh, nuts are expensive though relative to, mm. to beans. Um, one thing, I, really, all plant foods contain protein though. There's a wee bit of a of a myth that uh, that you know meat is where you get protein and plants are sort of pale, um, uh, sort of second uh, second runners in this. And it's just that plants have a lot more stuff in them than meat does because during meat, the, the digestive system filters out and, and a lot of stuff and condenses it into, into muscle, which people eat. But um, a lot of the stuff that's gone into the animal from the plants and has helped them from a health perspective, um, uh, from the fiber to the various micronutrients and vitamins and so forth, um, 
that doesn't get captured in the muscle that's doing its job elsewhere in the animal's body. So when you just eat meat, you're actually getting a, um, a very sort of one-dimensional view of what protein eating can be. If you eat eat plant products, you're getting your protein along with a lot of other stuff. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, you know, whether it's potatoes or, or rice, you're going to get protein. But if you if you want a big hit of protein, um, uh, then you know I'd say you go to the bean type stuff, you go to the nuts, um, and you can get, um, I, I, don't, I don't know whether jackfruit and things like that are available uh, in your supermarket, um, but uh, that's another plant-based source of protein that's really good. Um, yeah, pea, peas is, is another one. Uh, the main thing is start experimenting with different ways of cooking and preparing. Um, you can make, you know, you can make... A, a whole range of, of ethnic and and rather and also just ordinary boring dishes, um, but they're very flexible and very pliable. Go online, find find recipes if you're confused. But really, you can pretty much put them in a pan, heat them up, and throw anything tasty in with them, and you're good to go, in my view. Yeah. Any anything you'd like to add to that, Adam? Any any advice for those who are looking to eat some different things or kind of forced to eat some different things in some cases? I think. Yeah, I was late to the late to the um, mushroom camp. Not not your oh. button, not your button mushrooms. Mm. Gross. Throw out the button mushrooms. Go to a good Asian grocer. They'll have cheap king oyster mushrooms. They'll have cheap enoki mushrooms. Get some of that stuff. Just fry it up a bit of um, pepper and salt. Chuck it on some rice and you're good to go. Mm. Delicious. Yeah, I, I, I should have should have mentioned the mushrooms. One thing that I, that I might just add: a lot of people who say that they miss protein if they do, if they are transitioning to a plant-based diet, or if they've just had a period where they haven't had much meat, um, I, I, I challenge them on that sometimes. So, is it really the protein you're missing? Because they don't know; they just know that they they want to eat the meat. We have an overwhelmingly strong desire to eat saturated fat, which mm. isn't particularly good for you. But I think a lot of the, the lust for protein is actually lust for saturated fat because we can more than satisfy our protein needs from pretty much any plant product you want to eat. It's the saturated fat that's a bit harder to come by, but that's a good thing. If there's less of it in plant food and you're a plant-based eater, you'd probably be healthier. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to quickly mention for myself, I always have a, a peanut butter smoothie in the morning, uh, like a milky peanut butter smoothie. And yeah, I definitely agree the beans. I love a lot of Mexican dishes with black beans. So yeah, there's lots of alternatives out there. So hopefully um, some listeners will, will try those foods and, and yeah, stick with it and um, shift towards a vegan diet. And um, yeah, obviously choices for animals generally. I'll tell you another good thing that's happening sure. is the, the the production of uh, plant-based burgers and meats, you know, processed plant-based ones uh, like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat and so forth. And there's a lot more that, uh, that are popping up here in New Zealand and Australia, Asia. Some of them are quite cheap. Those premium brands are quite expensive to buy, but it's, it's proliferating. Their prices are coming down. And, and even if you just buy them initially as treats, you will be surprised at what good um, uh, options they are if you're feeling like something meaty but you don't actually have or want to eat animal flesh. Mm. 
So we are out of time and we'll put a link in the notes to uh, Rowan and, and Kim's article that is on animalliberationcurrents.com and we'll also put a link to um, Kim Socher's book on um, atheism and animal liberation uh, as well. Um, we're going to make way for Encyclopedia, so stay tuned for that, for that for all things uh, drugs and drug policy related. You can contact us with feedback, info at freedomspecies.org as well as on social media. We're going to finish up with another atheist-themed song. This is Cursive with Rise Up, Rise Up. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Rowan. It's been great. Thanks very much for having me, guys. to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.